0: Finally, if you would like to support the work and ministry of Rehope Financially, you can do so online at rehope.co.uk slash giving. We pray you find this message encouraging, enlightening, and helpful. Enjoy. Good to see you all. And Royston, I can't see you, but I know you're there. I know you're there. Glad you're there. All right, um, let me start by blessing us as we get we get ready to go today. Uh, I bless you now in the name of Jesus that you would know Jesus more wonderfully this morning. I bless you to receive healing if you need healing in your body, in your mind, in your emotions, in your spirit. I bless you to receive whatever guidance from God you need today, whatever help from God you need immediately. I bless you to have the courage and capacity to flourish and prevail over whatever challenges you're facing in your life right now. And I bless you to feel hope and joy and love and peace, whatever's going on. Bless you with that. In the name of Jesus, may it be. Amen. All right, so welcome back. We are in a study on Abraham, father of faith for all who believe in Jesus, a man who gets the title of God's friend. Now, the passage we're going to be looking at today is not Abraham's finest moment. All right, this is a, a really disappointing moment in Ab- for Abraham. He makes some big mistakes of which God needs to rescue him or bail him out of, intervene to get him out of. It's a great story about God. It's just a sad story about Abraham. But before we look at the story, I want to talk about lying. The topic of lying. It's maybe an ethical discussion for some of you, but like, is it ever okay to lie? That's that's the question I want to I want to ask. Is it ever okay? To lie. Now, I'm not asking if you think what you think the answer is uh, what does the Bible say about that? And and that's what all of us should be trying to figure out. What does the Bible say about lying and, and what does God say about lying? Now I have some thoughts, I've been thinking about this for a while, and I'm just going to put some thoughts out there, but you listen to these thoughts, compare it to the Bible as you're reading it through, and see, see what you think about this. My, my, my starting point when it comes to lying and is it ever okay to lie starts with God, and in Hebrews chapter 6, it says, it is impossible for God to lie. If you're reading in Numbers chapter 23, it says, God is not a man, so he does not lie. One of those anchor truths about our God is he never has ever lied. He does not do it. He cannot do it. He won't do it. It's impossible for him to do that. So, as a part of God's family, we are here to show people what God is like. We are to be godly. And so, in godliness, Uh, We we imitate what God is like and his values, and so it seems very clear God doesn't lie, so God's family, his people, reflect that by not lying. Another thought I have has to do with Jesus, and he talks about his enemy, Satan, and how Satan is the father of lies. He is a liar and the father of lies, John chapter 8. So uh, that just seems to double down the same concept. We got God, and God is never lies. It's impossible. And whereas the enemy of God is is a liar from, and has been a liar from the beginning. So I don't know. I'm just asking myself, what team am I on at this moment? Am I on team liars or team not lying? Uh, God's team or or the enemy's team. And that's not like for life. That's like for the moment. Moment by moment, we make those those decisions in, in, in challenging times. Um, so that's the second thing. The third thing uh, is the Bible's clear about how radically opposed opposed God is to false testimonies or to accepting bribes, which would corrupt truthfulness. Very opposed to that. In Leviticus chapter 19, it says do not lie or do not deceive, depending on your version. Do not deceive, do not lie or cheat one another. And so you're kind of getting these thoughts. You're like, okay, is it ever okay to lie? Seems pretty clear, right? Seems pretty clear. Answer, no, it's not okay to lie. However, there is one or two things that cause me to hesitate on pure dogmaticness about this. Is it, is, it, is it okay to lie? No, but but there are a few Bible stories, such as Exodus chapter one. And you have these Hebrew midwives who lie to Pharaoh. And they lie to Pharaoh because they are protecting, they're protecting uh, the nation from genocide. They're protecting the slaughter of all these um, baby boys, and so they lie, and as a result, God blesses them and and shows them favor. You also have a story of, of Rahab in Joshua, and Rahab lies to protect these spies, and she is blessed for that. So is it ever okay to lie? I think the answer is pretty much no, pretty much. Probably no, probably, pretty, pretty much, maybe. I, I, I feel pretty confident in that maybe. Uh, it's probably not okay to lie. And maybe in the rarest, rarest, rarest of scenarios, maybe where you're protecting innocents, people from being hurt or harmed, somebody else out there, maybe, maybe, um, possibly. Again, basically no lying. Is that clear? Yikes. Okay, so you've got this stuff about lying. Now, that's just straight out lying. But there's other things like misleading people or half-truths and things like that. And this comes up in our topic, in our passage today. That's why I'm bringing it up. Abraham's going to have this challenge. Jesus talks about being shrewd as a good thing for God's people. He applauds that. And God also shows shrewdness. I don't know if you were reading Exodus a few weeks ago. Probably you were for Bible read-through. I kept noticing, like, God's not really given Pharaoh the whole story here. Yes, we're going to go out in the wilderness and worship and never come back. You know, just a slight omission, right? Uh, You're no longer going to have any slaves. We are all leaving forever, forever, uh, forever. So so there's a sense, and and God is described as shrewd in the Bible. To the shrewd, he shows himself shrewd. And so there there is a a value of holy shrewdness applauded by Jesus, modeled by God. So there's that out there. Half-truths, half-truths, well, many people (laughs) disguise lies as half-truths by having true facts in them, but they're actually lies you know what I mean? They're, they're lies with true facts. That's, that's a lie <laughs> with some facts in it, but it's a lie, right? So I, I kind of treat, treat that the same way, but maybe you have different thoughts about this. I, I, I'm open to hearing about this, but as for me, God doesn't lie. Satan's the liar. He's all about lying. I want to be perpetually on team Jesus and trust God with the results. That's my, my leaning. Now, I've lied before. I know. Oh, it's a hard moment to confess that. No, not so hard. Uh, I have lied before. I, don't, I wish that I hadn't. Um, I'm imperfect in this area. So you know, as I'm being dogmatic about this, I'm also rea- realizing the humanity of it. And yet it is my aspiration to not be a liar and not to lie in that way. Um, I, I apply this in unusual ways. I'm not saying this is how you should apply it. Um, I, I tend to operate this with board games as well and card games. I, I, I try to p- apply holy shrewdness, but not direct lying. You, you, do, you do you, but um, I, I, just, I just don't want to practice. Okay, I, I'm not judging anybody, but I'm just saying, like, I, I prefer holy shrewdness and lying. So, maybe you're thinking, play games with Brian uh, and, and see if you can get down. I'm well practiced in shrewdness. That's just me. That's just me, but lying is, is quite a big deal, Quite Sadly, it's a common thing, but it's also a big thing when you're dealing with uh, thinking about God and his, and his behavior on that one. So we're going to get to Abraham now. And we're going to take that concept and we're going to look at Genesis chapter 20. Abraham at this point is 99 years old. This is the year that he and Sarah are promised to have a son. Sodom and Gomorrah have just been destroyed and everybody knows that it's a major Air, uh, event in the in the area, major regional event. So, that's in the background of this story. And this is what we read in verse 1 of chapter 20. It says, Abraham moved south to the Negev and lived there for a while, and lived for a while between Kadesh and Shur, and then he moved on to Gerar. And then it starts another sentence while living there as a foreigner. But he, he moved on to Gerar, map time, just, just so we know where we're at here. So, he starts off in the Hebron area, and notice Sodom and Gomorrah happens, and he goes away from that area. I'm sure it's quite traumatic and quite disturbing. I, I do wonder why Lot never reconnects with Abraham after losing everything, but that's a different, that's a different chat. Um, but Abraham moves away, and he moves down to this dry area, the Negev. Now, you can just follow, follow the line from number one up there. Wow, that's nice and bright. Uh, down to number two, he can only be in that area for weeks. Maybe months. It says a while, but this is the year that Sarah's going to be pregnant, and she's not obviously pregnant when they get to Gerar, so it can't be that long. Um, this is a bit what the area would look like. That is not the area Abraham was in, but it's it's Negevian. It's like that, right? And then he moves up to Gerar, which is also part of the Negev, but it's the best part. It's the it's the more coastal part. And here's some pictures of the of Gerar. And okay, that, that bottom harvest picture is a bit of a cheat, right? Because that's that's with modern irrigation and farming, okay? that's It wasn't quite that amazing. But it has more water, and you can see different times of year, spring and kind of more not spring, uh, different bits. But that's, that's Gerar, and it seems to be a pretty significant city in this area. Now, remember, Abraham is moving to Gerar with 318 trained warriors in his household, right? That's a bit of a threat. And so the king of Gerar is going to want to establish peaceful relations with this army camped in his area. Let's let's see what happens. While living there as a foreigner, Abraham introduced his wife, Sarah, by saying, she is my sister. So King Abimelech of Gerar sent for Sarah and had her brought to him at his, his palace. Now, this is done for political reasons. Marriage and stuff, for political reasons. Again, a big army outside. It's the guy's sister. Of course, I want peace. So we're going to marry. This isn't, this isn't about um, love or, or lust or whatever. We're going to see that, that that stuff doesn't happen in this story. But, you know, she's almost 90 years old. This is about alliances. It's about alliances. So they move into this area, and he says, You know, she's my sister. Does that remind you of a different story that we've read in the autumn? Like 20 years ago, Abraham did the exact same thing. He went down to Egypt, and he says to Pharaoh, This is my sister. And the exact sort of story happens. And I think there's a profound message here, a profound warning for us. Abraham didn't deal with his past sin. He didn't deal with the sin issue when he was younger, like 80, <laughs> but 20 years ago. And so his sin issue of lying to protect himself at the cost of his, his marriage and, and his wife, he's doing the same thing again. He didn't learn from his past mistakes. And now, I understand we all have places in our lives where we are more prone to sinning in the same ways. I am so thankful that not everything that is possible to tempt somebody tempts me. But there are some things that we all have that are more of issues in our lives. And I encourage us, as we confront them now, to deal with them now. To, to not just apologize, but to deal with the sin. Abraham doesn't deal with the sin when, when he's 20 years previous he doesn't put it to death. He keeps on this, this perpetual lie. Repenting means, God, I agree with you, and I commit not to doing that again. That's how, that's how we operate with our, with our sin issues. Abraham has a strong faith streak in him. He's praiseworthy as a, as a father of faith, but even Abraham, the father of faith, he gives way, he has a weakness towards self-protective fear. And self-protective fear has kept him in a state of lying, lying to people, and and I don't want to downplay his danger. I genuinely think that it, his danger level was high. His danger level was high, and so and I don't want to just make it seem like it's a casual lie. It's a significant thing for him, but but man, he he just doesn't he doesn't have the faith for this moment of fear. He doesn't have a high enough faith, even though he's a man of faith. So what happens? So we get to verse 3, and it says this, "But, But that night, God came to Abimelech in a dream and told him, You are a dead man, for that woman you have taken is already married. But Abimelech had not slept with her yet, so he said, Lord, Will you destroy an innocent nation? Didn't Abraham tell me she is my sister? And she herself said, yes, he is my brother. I acted in complete innocence. My hands are clean. In the dream, God responded, yes, I know you are innocent. That's why I kept you from sinning against me and why I did not let you touch her. Now return the woman to her husband, and he will pray for you, for he is a prophet. Then you will live. But if you do not return her to him, you can be sure that you and all your people will die. God protects. I love this about God. God protects, even when Abraham is showing this imperfect faith, even though he is uh, lacking faith in this moment, even though he's making a big mistake, God might not protect us from all the consequences of our mistakes. God might even discipline us for having a low levels of faith and not trusting him enough. But God protects us more than we realize. God protects more than we tend to be alert to. And one of the great lies that our enemy continually feeds us with is you cannot trust God. You cannot trust God to protect you. You cannot trust God in this scary moment that you're in. God is probably not going to do anything to help you. So you need to make sure you take care of yourself, even if that means compromising and sinning. You can't trust God, so... Sin. That's that's the lie. And Abraham, just like all of us at times, he's struggling to believe that God can be trusted with his current scary crisis. But God does protect, and you see in this story, God protects Sarah. He makes sure that that the king doesn't touch her. Now, this is kind of a big deal because this is the year of promised conception of of Abraham's son Isaac. There's not going to be a shadow of doubt over this. God's making sure that there's no shadow of doubt over this whole scenario. God protects Abraham. He, He lets the king of Gerar know that Abraham is a prophet. And in order to get out of this, Abraham has to be alive and pray for you. Thirdly, he protects the king of Gerar and the people because he's letting them know that they have sinned. They, they don't know that they have sinned, but, but they're, they're in, in big danger because Sarah's a married, a married woman. By the way, you don't have to believe that you're, you're doing wrong to be doing wrong. Right? You don't have to believe that you're, you're sinning or, or doing something that's not okay for it not to be Okay. Abimelech didn't even know he was sinning, but, but, God, but God tells him, and then, and then how he responds is this in verse 8, Abimelech got up early the next morning and quickly called all his servants together. When he told them what had happened, his men were terrified. Remember, God just destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like within, within 90 days. It's not a good moment to have God angry at you or your nation or your people. This is very fresh in people's mind. So they are terrified. Then Abimelech called for Abraham. What have you done to us? He demanded. What crime have I committed that deserves treatment like this? Making me and my kingdom guilty of this great sin no one should ever do what you have done. Whatever possessed you to do such a thing. Like what Abraham has done by lying and deceiving and major awfulness, really awful. Abraham replied, I thought this is a godless place. They will want my wife and will kill me to get her. And she really is my sister, for we both have the same father but different mothers, and I married her. When God called me to leave my father's home and to travel from place to place, I told her, do me a favor, wherever we go, tell the people that I am your brother. Okay, gross, but here we are. <laughs> Again, for Abraham, this whole long-time lie now, so Abraham's just, compl- uh, just admitting that this lie is at least a seven, uh, 24-year-long lie that, it, that, that he's been perpetuating. And again, it's about self-protection. It's not about Sarah. It's not about his marriage. It's about, you know, making sure that he's okay. This is motivated by fear, not about faith and trusting God. I want to just keep reminding you that the the only antidote the Bible gives us for fear is faith. And, And that's the challenge. You just scan through the Gospels. You're going to see all the times that the disciples are afraid, Jesus says, little faith. Even, even if it's a weather challenge, that the antidote for all kinds of fear issues is faith and is, and, and is, is trusting God. I, I'm aggressive at battling f- fear issues in my life. Don't be passive about fears and worries and anxieties. Don't just try and master them or, or suppress them. Like, deal with them, they are dangerous. Fear and worry and anxiety, those are dangerous things in your life. Don't just don't just try and suppress them. Rebuke them. Rebuke them and and, and get them out and, and work with your mind and your emotions to not give way to, to those things. Now, I'm not when I'm doing that, I'm not trusting Jesus to to keep me from bad times. That's not what I'm do, what I'm doing with fear. I'm not lying to myself. Oh, if if I just trust Jesus, nothing bad will ever happen to me. What I'm doing is though, as I'm trusting Jesus that even when bad things happen to me, that He will see me through. Making sure we stay truthful in that. But because of fear, Abraham lies, very common sin connected to being afraid. Let's keep reading, verse 14. Then Abimelech took some of his sheep and goats, cattle, and male and female servants, and he presented them to Abraham. He also returned his wife, Sarah, to him, then Abimelech said, look, my land, look over my land and choose any place where you would like to live. And he said to Sarah, look, I am giving your brother, (laughs) your brother, 1,000 pieces of silver in the presence of all these witnesses. This is to compensate you for any wrong I may have done to you. This will settle any claim against me, and your reputation is cleared." Now, I know a bunch of you have read Leviticus recently, which is not something I can normally say in churches, but, but praise God for Bible read-through, and for those who have read Leviticus, maybe you noticed in the first 10 chapters that there's a lot of offerings for unintentional sinning. Like, God has ways, like, when, when you don't know that you're sinning, but then when you find out how to deal with it, and, and sometimes it's about repaying what was, what, and more than repaying It's usually like this plus a little bit more. We saw that in Exodus as well. Just because Abimelech unintentionally sinned, thus God says he was innocent because he didn't, he was lied to. It was, this whole sin thing, it wasn't his fault. He was lied to. And God agrees, he's innocent. But that doesn't mean he hasn't sinned and is under God's judgment in this moment. Because he is. It's not his fault. He's done this innocently, but he's still unknowingly sinning. And now that he knows, what I love about this is that Abimelech goes to great generous lengths to make things right. Sheep, goats, cattle, slaves, thousand pieces of silver, live wherever you want in my land. Have the best of it as far as I care. Like, Abimelech goes so far. Now, again, Abimelech was sinned against. How could you ever do such a thing? You lied to me, and this has just been awful for me in my, my, because, because you lied to me. How, I, I get so, um, we waste so much time in our lives trying to justify why we don't need to be the one to apologize first. Like Abimelech has every reason to not be the first apology other than the threat of God Almighty in a dream. But, you know, like, he was lied to Abraham did this. This is Abraham's mess. And yet there he is going over the top in generosity and restoration. And and I just feel there's a lot there for us. When you wrong somebody, don't try and figure out if it's what percentage. And for Abimelech, he is like way on the innocent side. And yet, he is being generous. He's bringing a gift as well as an apology. There's other places in the Bible where I see this as well. People don't just say they're sorry, but they bring a gift as well. You know, hey, I'm sorry. Here's a Starbucks gift card. I'm sorry. Here's a bar of chocolate. Oh, I really messed up. Here's a house. You know, something like that. I just... But, you know, thinking through, like, not just making an apology, but, like, bringing a gift. I, I love what happens here. And then it says in verse 17, then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife and his female servants, so they could have children. For the Lord had caused all the women to be infertile because of what happened with Abraham's wife, Sarah. Does this remind you of the book of Job? Where Job is sinned against, and the story doesn't conclude until after Job's three friends are confronted by their sin, and then Job prays for them. And then things move forward. And in this case, it was not until Abraham prays for Abimelech that things start to resolve. So, you know, if you sin against somebody, what gift can I bring? But if somebody has come to you and apologized, and, and there has been a restoration, our next step, very underestimated, by the way, is to then pray for them. And what I believe... We should be praying for those who have apologized. Is God, do not hold them accountable or guilty for what they've now apologized to me about. Release them from any discipline that you may be doing to them that maybe I know or don't know. Like, show mercy to them. Like, this is resolved, God. I agree in heaven. Now, show mercy to them and don't hold them accountable for this. This has been made right. I, I wish that that was more, more common in, in our culture. Receiving an apology, now God, have mercy. I love that. Very biblical. The last thing I want to mention here, though, is, let's say you don't know about Abraham, and you probably don't know much about Abimelech anyways, but let, let's just say you don't know about these guys, and you only knew this story, and you didn't know anything about their backgrounds, which one of these guys would you think is the man of God? Like, who would you think is the most upright the most godly the most moral person who would you who would you guess is 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 the friend of god in the in this story is it the one who lies or is it the one who hears from god in a dream and does what he's told is it the person who seems to try and justify his lies or is it the one who gives generous gifts to make things right when he was innocent and man the other person really severely wronged him but he's he's Owning his bit, and he's making things right. Which one would you think is the godly man in this story, God's friend? I mean, it's Abimelech, of course. It's a it's Abimelech, a much more godly person. He's so much more consistent in his integrity, in, in his high morality. Abraham looks well; he just doesn't look good at all. And yet, it is Abraham. It's Abraham who's protected by God. It's Abraham. Why? Why? Well. Because God is not on the side of the people who are the most moral, or the most good, or the most kind, or the most caring. God is on the side of his family. God is on the side of his family, for better or for worse. Although Abimelech is better than Abraham in this story, Abimelech is not in a family relationship with God. Abraham is in a covenant relationship with God. We've read about that in our study thus far. They are in a covenant. There's a covenant together um, relationship there. As for you and I, if we're not in a covenant relationship with God through Jesus Christ, if we've not given our life to Jesus, if we've not chosen to believe in Jesus, and be forgiven and saved and filled with the Holy Spirit and adopted into God's family because of believing in Jesus? No matter how good we are or godly we are or kind we are or caring we are or wise or upright, if we're not in the family of God, we're, we're in danger just like good and innocent Abimelech. When it comes to God, it's not about being good enough to get into heaven. It's about believing in Jesus. And it's about coming into God's family through Jesus. So the, today's question is, you know, are, not are you a good enough person these days, but, but are you, have you become part of God's family? I think Scotland is full of amazing people. There's a lot of Abimelechs that need to become Abrahams, part of God's family. And there's also a lot of Abraham-like believers who need to, get on top of some of those reoccurring sin issues and lying issues in their lives and become more godly as Abraham will continue to become. Yeah. How do you, how do you enter into God's family? Well, think of it as making an owe, a, a oath a, or a vow to God. And, and you, you would basically make a vow or oath like this. You're like, God, I now dedicate my life to following Jesus Christ only. I now dedicate my life to following Jesus Christ forever. So God, forgive me, fill me with Your Holy Spirit, receive me and adopt me into Your family. You know, something like that. But it's like I believe in Jesus and I dedicate my life to following Jesus. If you if you've if you've ever prayed that prayer or if you ever will pray that prayer, then your next step is to let let us know and let's let's baptize let's get baptized as quickly as possible. That's what, that's what we want to see. We want to help you with that journey. Um, I'm going to help you if you want to give your life to Jesus or rededicate your life to Jesus in a moment, but first of all, some challenges here. Challenge number one is address a relationship issue this week. Either bring in a gift, owning your wrongdoing, even if it's mostly their fault, or Praying a blessing over someone who has previously wronged you. Now, this says, but you have not fully let go of yet. I'm, I actually, what I really want is, is those who have apologized, then it's time to ask God for mercy for them. And to not, and, and to, to, to have, you know, to forgive as, as you have forgiven them as well. So, some sort of address a relationship issue this week. And also, as, as I want to continue to encourage you, practice rebuking fear in Jesus' name. You know, fear in the name of Jesus, get out of my life. Fear of God leads us down all kinds of bad paths. All right, so I want to do a prayer time, but we're gonna do a quiet prayer time today. And so there's gonna be two prayers. One is if you want to dedicate or rededicate your life, I'm gonna put some proposed words out there. And if that if those words feel right to you, then be like, yes, this is what I'm I want to pray. And you can pray those as well. That's one. And then there's gonna be a second prayer, which is gonna basically be I recommit to being a truthful person. And again, I'll I'll go through that prayer. You can decide if that is what you want to pray, and if so, then you can kind of pray that, again, quietly in this time, quietly in this time. Why don't you close your eyes with me and and think about this first one. Do you feel like today you're ready to rededicate your life to Jesus, to join God's family, or to to enter into God's family for the first time, to, to give your life to Jesus? If so, I suggest praying something like this. God, I now dedicate my life to following you and to following Jesus only. God, I now dedicate my life to following Jesus Christ forever. Receive me into your family. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Forgive me and lead me forward. In Jesus' name. If you've done that, I, let us know so we and let's move towards getting baptized. For, for, for others of you, this idea of recommitting to being a truthful person, here's the prayer, and you can think about whether you want to pray it or not. The, the prayer is, Jesus, I will not give way to fear. I will trust you to protect me. I recommit to being a truthful person. I repent from all past lying. I commit to do vastly better in Jesus' name. So you can think, do I want to pray that prayer? And I'll lead you through it again. Jesus, I will not give way to fear. Jesus, I will not give way to fear. I will trust you to protect me. I trust you to protect me. I recommit to being a truthful person. I recommit to being a truthful person. I repent from all past lying. I repent from all past lying. and I commit to doing vastly better commits commit to do vastly better in Jesus' name. Father, I do pray that there would be a, a joyful truthfulness over all our lives, a hunger for truthfulness, truth in the inmost places, and truth that comes out of our mouths. I pray for holy shrewdness to be over our lives, and I pray that we would be a people who imitate you in lielessness. And not being a people who lie, but a people of truth. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.